Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott L. This is Amber. Fun night tonight. Fun night. Fun Very night. fun night. Very fun night. Another highly recommended book to go out and purchase. Yeah. Because uh, we're talking to author Sylvia True yeah. about her book, Where Ma- Madness Lies. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like, it's a true story. But it's fictionalized in a sense where she changed some names and had to probably reimagine conversations between people and yeah. her grandma in the past. But her family has a history going back to Nazi Germany yeah, and, and, uh, and, and mental and, illness and, of course, how Nazis viewed mental illness. Like, yeah, you're going to get sterilized or uh, we're just going to just gonna shut you down. Kill you. Just, yep. yeah, unplug you. Take you off the planet. Um, I knew I knew this was going to be really great to talk to her, and I'm glad we did. Yeah, because it interwove with a lot of weird stuff. A lot of weird. Yeah, a lot of good stuff because great stuff. obviously mental illness and the paranormal get laughed at. Don't well, get don't get taken seriously. They have a marriage together, people, and people yeah. that have often said that they experience paranormal things. Oh, that's oh, you're mentally ill. Oh, you got. Well, that's one of the things I forgot to mention to Sylvia when we were chatting with her was that idea. I mean, people have put their careers on the line you know, over history now and recent history. Oh, to, yeah. because they're like, look, I can't live with this anymore. I saw something, and you know what? I'm just going to put it out there and throw caution to the wind. We have we've seen plenty oh, of people yeah. do that. John Mack, he was a Harvard mm-hmm. psychologist yeah. who pretty much went out like I don't know if he necessarily threw his career out the window. I don't know enough about him, but he started researching alien abductions you know, seriously. It, 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 you know, I don't know if it's that dramatic anymore. I mean, we talked about, we always talk about. It our was UFO. though in like the eighties and even in the nineties, okay, which in the, in the grand scheme of things is not that not long that ago. Not that long ago, it's only thirty years ago, yeah. forty years ago. But I mean, we talk about our UFO experience that we saw. That was what now? Holy crap. 2008 or seven, somewhere around so there. So that was like 13 years ago almost. Yeah. And I mean, I walked, I remember I walked, that was a Saturday night and I walked in to work on Monday morning, literally. I mean, I wasn't like weird or anything like that, but people were like, so what'd you do this weekend? I'm like, <laughs> I, I saw, I saw a goddamn UFO on Saturday night. I was watching Police Academy and, <laughs> t- and, and literally, I mean, it's funny, but I, that's what was going on. I mean, Amber and Tom said, like, get out here. And there was this thing in the sky. There's a UFO out here. I'm like, but Police Academy's on. Yeah, yeah, you can watch later. Get out and look at the UFO. No, I mean, so, but it's I was true. very, I was very, I mean, I'm talking with my coworkers about that. Yeah. And I and I didn't care. I'm like, no, no. I saw something here. I, I, I'm not crazy. Exactly. And you know you're not crazy. So that's the thing. You're like, I, I saw something. I don't know what it was. I tend to think that night it could have been something government related. Like we might have been seeing some stealth new plane. It was the, anomalous. It was, tri- it was definitely anomalous. triangular shaped, I think. Which it was anomalous. Whatever the hell it was, it was something that we never seen. Always been rumor that the government has these triangle ships that people can fly, like, and they're insane. We don't like, know physics. We, yeah, I mean, I'm willing to hear, hear any systems. story, but we saw something that night um, that we couldn't explain. And I've seen something weirder than that after that, which yeah. anyone well, that's listening to the got show, one up, maybe I got to one up you. Yeah. I saw a jellyfish in the sky. <laughs> I saw a jellyfish. <laughs> I saw you something. You saw a UFO? Which I saw I a hate. jellyfish in the I sky. I saw in, fut- in the calendar, in the Ghostly Talk calendar, that mm-hmm. you got that guy on. That guy. That's about the living things in the sky. That guy. That guy. Yeah, yeah I know. I don't remember his name. Yeah, we'll talk to him yeah. later. Yeah. So why are we not having an executive meeting on the air here? <laughs> we will talk be talking after we're done recording? more about jellyfish in the sky more with this guy. Je- <laughs> jellyfish in the sky. Oh, I just I did it. I can fly twice as high. <laughs> okay. It's a reading rainbow song. Oh I my god! Anyway, I did start uh, as as I said in the beginning of the show when we start talking to Sylvia. I did start reading this book today, and yeah. it honestly is good. Like, yeah. I have an attention span of a gnat, 
And I, even though I open up a book and I go, this is really good, it's great. I sometimes can't just sit there and keep reading it. Yeah. And I comfortably sat there for the past two and a half hours like, oh, 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 she's building stuff up. Oh, what's going to happen? Oh, it's it's good. It's good. If you're, if, you're, if you're looking for a new fiction book, you got to go check out Where Madness Lies. And of course, you can find it on anywhere books are sold, like Amazon, mm-hmm. Barnes & Noble. Probably your local uh, bookseller can order it, mm-hmm. wherever you go. So uh, a little bit about Sylvia. Sylvia mm-hmm. was born in England to parents who were refugees from Germany. Mm-hmm. She moved to the U.S. when she was five, mm-hmm. growing up with parents from different cultures, a mother who was a Swiss champion figure skater, mm-hmm. and a father who was a theoretical nuclear physicist. Work with that. Mom, I want to be an artist. (laughs) Right? Gave her a varied and unique perspective. During her summer break, Sylvia likes to travel to the Amazon, and she does research in the rainforest with students. She has raised two daughters Mm -hmm. who are both pursuing their passions as well. Presently, she lives in Massachusetts with her husband and two very spoiled dogs who you will hear. You will hear one of those dogs. It's Frida. Frida makes an appearance multiple times on the show. (laughs) Uh, we should have asked her what type of dog it was. It, she sounded small, she sounded tiny, but loud. Uh, where she is. Oh, and also she's a high school. Sylvia's a high school chemistry teacher herself. Yeah. So Where Man This Lies is available, like I said, from Top Hat Books, uh, Amazon, and wherever books are sold. So enjoy our interview with Sylvia True. So you know that I, my attention span, like I, I, I'm kind of on the struggle bus sometimes, even though I literally am surrounded by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books because I'm a, a book fanatic. I usually have a pile of 10 or 12 books surrounding me and who knows how many weeks, which months, bane, years which will bane, take me to finish that book. <laughs> yeah, it's a bane of my existence living in the same house as Amber because if I want to sit down in a chair somewhere and set a drink down, you can't unless you, you have to move 20 books. You have to move my children. I have to move the children, right? So, so and that always gets the yell across so the house. So we're, we're talking today to Sylvia True, and yeah. I downloaded the book only a couple days ago, and my Kindle was giving me some issues. So just a few hours ago, I started reading the book, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I haven't put it down since. And I I thought, well, okay, I'm gonna power through this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get through this quick. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Mm. No, I didn't want to, because it was that good. And I mm. was like, oh, I can't. Oh, no, I gotta know what happens to all these characters and everything. So I want to. So read. you didn't try to rush it. No, no. I got, I got on the chapter eight. Like I got my Kindle told me I was thirty three percent. I hate the. It's so weird. What with is that? That's like the percentage. Of, that's a percentage you've. Because re- I don't yes. have a Kindle. So yeah, it's. I like I still read manually. I like being able to feel how far I've gone, but. Because it was like I didn't it tells have, you like your percentage. I couldn't get the physical book fast enough, so I had to do the Kindle, and then okay. it gave me yeah. So uh-huh. anyway, I want to read a little synopsis so you know what this book is about and what we're going to be talking to Sylvia about uh, throughout this show. Yeah, it's gonna be something. I think it's gonna be a little different. The book is called uh-huh. Where Madness Lies. It just came out February first, twenty twenty one. Synopsis is Germany, nineteen thirty four. Rigmore, a young Jewish woman, is a patient at Sonnenstein. 
I might be saying some of these things. Sonnenstein. I know, right? A premier psychiatric institution known for their curative treatments. But with the tide of eugenics, something we've always have found really, really interesting on this show. And the Nazis rise to power. Rigmore is swept up in a campaign to rid Germany of the mentally ill. I love books also that kind of go to the past, to the present. So we go to USA 1984 and uh, Sabine. Battling crippling panic and, and depression, commits herself to McLean Hospital, but in doing so, she has unwillingly agreed to give up her baby, which is, which is kind of where I'm at in the book. And I'm like, ah! Linking these two generations of women is Inga, who did everything in her power to help her sister Rigmore. Now with her granddaughter, Sabine, Inga is given a second chance to free someone she loves from oppressive forces, both within and without. This is a story about hope and redemption, about what we pass on, both genetically and culturally. It is about the high price of repression and how one woman who lost nearly everything must be willing to reveal the failures of the past in order to save future generations. With chilling echoes of our time, Where Madness Lies is based on a true story, this is also what I find fascinating, of the author's own family. So I know we want to dive right into this with Sylvia. Sylvia, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a and pleasure. This is, seriously, it's a really good book. Like, oh, it's, thank you. It's really good. That's why I said well, I'm being honest when I have an attention span of a gnat and I put stuff down. <laughs> and for the past three hours, I was like, nope, I'm sucked in. I'm sucked in. I got to know what's going on. So I, I want to jump into this because it's this is about your own family, essentially. Yeah. And I know we have in our notes here where Mattis lies is a story about the high price of repression in Nazi Germany, and how does this actually link to your own grandmother? Right. So um, the woman that you mentioned who is the link between the two generations is my grandmother. Okay. And just to to be right out there, okay, I am Sabine. Okay. um, The woman in 1984 who had to go to McLean, and I'll talk about that um, at some point. And my grandmother fled from Germany uh, with my mother. Actually, both of my parents, which is a little bit of another story, um, fled from Frankfurt. They didn't know, the families didn't know each other back then. But um, anyway, my grandmother and mother fled from Germany. They fled to Switzerland. And before my grandmother fled, she really was taking care of her sister Rigmore. And Rigmore was a beautiful, talented woman, a pianist, an artist you know, spoke multiple languages. And in her teens, she developed something they called fits, you know, (laughs) like anxiety, panic, kind of panic attacks. Um, And they definitely got worse. There wasn't medicine to treat them. And then they labeled her with hysteria and eventually melancholy. And finally, when things, you know, when she had a couple psychotic breaks, they decided to try Sonnenstein, which was, you know, kind of the number one hospital. They had the resources. My grandmother did all the research and found the doctors and, you know, was super careful. And so Rigmore ended up at an institution. And around that time in Germany, around 1930, well, in 33, um, Germany um, came up with their first sterilization law. And, you know, the, the eugenics was popular around the world at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, the Nazis took it to an obscene end and then everybody was like, no, we didn't do that either. But I mean, there were sterilizations happening in this country, especially in California. And, you know, they believed that sterilization was the way to stop diseases, you know, eventually just, you know, don't let people propagate who have anything. And in Germany, it was any sort of mental illness, 
feeble-mindedness, idleness could get you sterilized. Um, oh, God, I'm dead. I'm dead. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's over with. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, sorry. no, it's fine. It's crazy, though. Yeah. When you look at the list, you know, it is scary because, you know, this wasn't a, a time for the mentally ill. It didn't. It wasn't necessarily at all about being Jewish, right? I mean, this was, you know, you could get, you know, your doctor could say, yeah, you're an alcoholic or you're idle and you should be sterilized. And so between 1934 and 1939, they sterilized around 400,000 people. And then the sterilization law led to the euthanasia law, which um, they enacted on the first day of, of the Second World War. And, you know, unfortunately, my grandmother's sister, Rigmore, when she went to this institution, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Mm. Now, that was a way, way overused diagnosis then, right? I mean, it was, and it was kind of a death sentence, although I don't, you know, my grandmother didn't know that at mm. that time, but it be became pretty clear. I mean, Hitler had always planned this, you know, get rid of the undesirables, which, you know, obviously could be mental patients or Jewish people or gypsies. Mm -hmm. And so um, in these hospitals, there were six major hospitals that actually built gas chambers and the doctors designed them, you know, they figured out how to build them. They had crematoriums there. They pillaged the bodies and in many ways, this was the opening act of the Nazis, right? This was their opening act. Those same doctors were taken to the concentration camps to build the gas chambers there. Um, so my poor grandmother and her even poorer sister, I guess, was caught up in this whole thing. My grandmother left, fled Germany, had to leave her husband. He wasn't Jewish and he was a chemist. He would have lost his job. And so then, you know, repressed everything, right? Put it in a box, put it aside, became changed, you know, became a very controlling person. It's like people who, you know, they can't control like the huge big things in their lives. They begin yeah. to control things like how the clocks are set to the oh, exact, micro Micromanaging right? themselves. Half right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and her grandchildren, yeah. which included me. And then... So that was that's the Germany piece. And then um, my piece of the story, I was um, I was probably I'm sure I was depressed my whole life. I didn't know that's what it was. I just thought I was really weak. Right. You know, I was told to pull up my socks and not be so oversensitive. And, you know, I, I always knew there was something wrong with me. I couldn't figure out what it was. And, you know, we were definitely not allowed to see any people like psychiatrists like in my family one does not go to those type of people because that was f terrifying to my, my mother who knew a little bit and my grandmother I mean they were going to take this secret of Rigmore nobody knew anything about her they were going to take it to the grave and we you know it would be shame on the family if we showed any kind of mental illness and in my 20s I was really suffering and I um you know, I couldn't do anything anymore. I, I had panic attacks. I couldn't drive. I couldn't go to the grocery store. Life was just too hard, overwhelming. I had no idea what to do. I knew I couldn't see a psychiatrist. I sort of thought I might need to, but I knew that was like, you know, foreboding. And so um, I decided I'd have a baby. That would fix everything, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, great choice. I have my daughter, obviously, who's amazing and um, wonderful decision. But but after I had her, I, you know, had a postpartum depression on top of a long time depression. And then I ended up in McLean. And initially, my mother and grandmother were too frightened to speak to me. I mean, it was terrifying for them, mm-hmm. you know, to sort of think that, oh, my God, this is history repeating itself, whatever. But eventually, my grandmother um, did open up very slowly. And um, when the past was revealed, it it did sort of set me free. I wasn't alone. I wasn't the only one in the family with mental illness. When I first went into McLean, you know, the doctors say, is there any mental illness in your family? I was like, nope, everybody's perfect, uh, you know, except me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was a a long, long answer. I apologize. <laughs> oh, that was great. No, 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 no this no. stuff is all fascinating. And you do a good job in the book with your grandmother because right away I can tell him, like, she's got to control little things to make up for other stuff. Like, you can just, you can read that in that character just from the little nuances that you wrote about, like, how she looks at hair. And I'll have right. to tell her that her hair looks bad later. And uh, just, I don't know, all these things like that. And so how much research did you have to do? Obviously, you grew up with this sort of close in your family with with World War Two and Nazis and, and all this stuff. Uh, but how much research did you do for this book? So that's a great question. I did a lot. Um, also, just a side note. So both my, you know, parents, like I said, fled from Germany. People of their generation who fled did not talk about it. Ah. You know, so it was it was this thing that was always there. There was like this aura of fear and secrecy, but you know, nobody knew what it was really about. And my father was a a very difficult man. He was a nuclear physicist. And, you know, if I know I ended up learning that he was, you know, beaten and they failed him in all his classes in Nazi Germany before he fled. And, um, you know, when you had to ask him about his childhood, he, he would paint this idyllic picture. And it was like, wait, what? Hmm. But didn't you have to, like, flee? You know, no, yeah. well, we moved to England. I mean, I, I don't know. It was all, like, disconnected. And it wasn't until I got sick that anybody was willing to reveal these pieces. And, and it sort of was like life made a little, a lot more sense. You know what I mean? Where There was so much fear um, that wasn't spoken about, but children feel these things, you know, we're children are barometers of what's going on in the, mm-hmm. in, you know, in the household, they can feel it. And, you know, I was too sensitive, obviously. <laughs> well, especially in that era we're talking to, um, and as you're telling us this, I'm thinking about the lives we lead now, at least in the United States, uh, and mental health and mental issues. It seems like, it's, I think it's gotten to a point, and I've said this to friends in conversation, I don't think you're normal unless you're somewhat abnormal in a certain way nowadays. We're all discovering, and I don't think it's a matter, a friend of ours said this, our friend of ours actually has three autistic children. He's got three children, and they all, I'm sorry, three of them, the third one there, they think that he may be autistic also. And I remember one of the things we talked about, because it was like, well, you know, autism is the new, it's a big fad now, so every child has autism. And what my friend said was, well, no, it's because we were discovering this stuff. We're actually looking at these things now, and we're discovering these things, and we're, we're drawing these lines, right? right so right. Um, 
that's the reason more and more people are being diagnosed. I'm sure there's, and I'm sure in fairness, there's misdiagnoses with this too, right? But uh, mental health and as a bottom line for this thing, I think more people are paying attention to this now, at least in the United States. Uh, and we're, we're really honing in on our mental health and the issues we have and not, I mean, men always have to bury these things. And it's always been that, you know, that long thing about men, they have to bury their emotions and they can't show emotions. And then one day it is completely explode. <laughs> We've seen this right. happen over and over again. Right. <laughs> uh, and it goes, and that happens for women also too. It's not, it's not much different. So right. I think we're paying a lot more attention to this and we're embracing these imperfections as people. Right. I think. Um, and now, you know, Especially right now. I'm also a high school teacher. I teach high school chemistry. And, uh, you know, kids are really struggling now. And there are, you know, with this whole, some kids come to school. I'm teaching in something called hybrid. So, you know, we have kids dribble in with different cohorts, you know, Mm -hmm. different kids on different days. And I don't know, a lot of kids are staying, you know, full remote at home and really struggling with anxiety and depression. So, well, they're not, you know, they're not getting any type of, uh, they're not getting a cycle, a, a regular rhythm in their life. You know, that's, I think that's, right. and I am no psychologist, but the things I have learned is, especially for developing uh, boys, you know, guys and gals, boys and girls, um, they, that's one thing you need growing up is that, is that rhythm, that regularity. Structure. Uh, structure. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for, structure, right? And yeah, in the last year, year and a half, ish no structure <laughs> the structure has been totally ripped out from under a lot of these kids so it is and i've seen it i've seen it firsthand yeah. i'm seeing kids yeah like you said uh sylvia they're experiencing things like anxiety and depression now because they don't know how to cope i mean they're this is how they're coping with it i guess it, right it's unfortunate yeah, it's, it's, it's crappy it, go ahead yeah it's i mean it's bad out there right now and, no, and i worry about our students and you know how they're going to manage through this now some of them have excelled strangely in that yeah. you know it's it's interesting you know you, it's not the kids you you might think you know it's it's been in sort of interesting to watch some kids just love the whole remote thing and are doing exceptionally well but not most kids well, you know you know i would think there would be some benefit to that and i mean i'm just talking just throwing spitballing this let's say but I mean, we we all know here on the phone that uh, growing up, especially in like junior high and high school, it can be very hard on some kids. Get, kids get picked on, they get bullied. There's all kinds of things that happen, and especially in this day and age. Uh, you know, I've said I've had these conversations uh, with friends and people also where we were when we were growing up, and we've all I think experienced a little bit of bullying and stuff like that. Um, but it, it ended at three o'clock. <laughs> when we were kids, right? It just ended at three right. o'clock. You went home and then you had to deal with it the next day, maybe. Who knows, right? It just it's part of growing up. Not saying I it's right, it, but that was part of the part of the game. Unfortunately now in this day and age, it don't end because there's social media now, right? Oh. So this no. stuff can just go on and on and on. So I imagine for some children or I shouldn't call them well, some young folks, yeah, um, yeah. they may excel at this because they don't have that burden now. And again, this is, I'm not saying this is the central focus of this, but it may be a piece of this too, where some kids don't have that burden of dealing with the, the schoolyard bully, let's say, right? And they can focus on their studies and they, don't, they, 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 they may be unblocked by things like that. Just, that's just me kind of throwing an idea out there. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. mean, you know, I remember talking to a young woman last year about that who, you know, felt like 
And and I remember thinking I was so surprised because she, you know, she seemed like a very outgoing, popular yeah. young lady. And, you know, she talked to me about how she liked being at home because she didn't have the social pressures, you know, even though she might have been supposedly one of the popular kids, she felt it all the time and she could focus better. So that's that's yeah. the term right there is social pressures. And that can go both ways, good or bad social pressures, right? Uh, I think, yes, yeah, some kids will not have that barreling down on them anymore and they can focus on the work that they're supposed to do right I guess. right so yeah that i mean that that makes sense to me too um you know and mental health like is, is, in and of itself too um i mean and that's something i've thought about about a lot about myself in my situation is is this something that you actually do inherit right um you actually wrote an essay on this am i am i about this topic am i correct yes. yeah and it's such an interesting you know like you just brought up with the three um, young boys who are autistic. And I'm actually reading a book called Hidden Valley, which is a fascinating account of a family who had 12 children, um, six who were schizophrenic. And so, you know, and I'm not, believe me, I'm not saying every case is genetic or every case isn't. I think, you know, we used to believe when I went to college, sort of like 80% of who who you are was, you know, more environmental. And I I think that's definitely switched. I think people are noticing that there are certainly genetic traits that gets passed on. It is absolutely true in my family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being aware of that was really important for me. So, um, you know, I, I had being in a mental hospital is absolutely the best education and gift of my life. I mean, not only did I get better, I actually, you know, learned about my family and my family sort of slowly came out of, you know, sort of this dark fear, shame place and into the light. And we could finally sort of talk about things and, and what had happened. Um, But I was concerned. I have two daughters and I thought, you know, the one thing I think of all the things I've done in my life um, that I, I actually am most proud of is that I, brought my daughters up without shame and fear of mental illness. It's sort of been a crusade of mine that, and my other crusade is the paranormal, like also being open about that and, you know, not being ashamed about those types of things that that's, Anyway, I'll stick to mental illness for the which moment. Which is no, which is a brilliant point. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. We'll 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 get back to that because what you yeah. just said there really really I can identify with. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, yeah. So anyway, I just I I didn't want my daughters to grow up with the shame and fear that there was something wrong with them if they got depressed or anxious or whatever happened, right? Mm-hmm. And my eldest daughter, you know, around 14, was a pretty difficult teenager and definitely was showing signs of depression. And I immediately took her to a therapist, a psychiatrist, and a psychic, just so you know, I covered all the bases <laughs> there. <laughs> Love it. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, and my daughters are grown and high functioning, both, you know, take medication for depression and anxiety. And, they, you know, they don't even, they, there's no issue with them at all. And, like I said, you know, I'm very proud of that, that that I could do that a little bit differently. And I'm not saying my parents did it wrong. I'm just, you know, I thought this is what the, you know, the environment I want my daughters to grow up in. And, and it's important, even though I teach chemistry, that, you know, the kids know that I'm open about 
again, the paranormal and mental illness with them as well, that there's no shame in it. And, yeah. and I agree with you that, you know, the stigma is, is way, way less than it used to be, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, there's still stigmas. People still feel, you know, embarrassed. Well, I mean, but. I think for your family, when you were growing up, this was, I don't know if we've really touched on this. I mean, we, we have a little bit, I think. This was a matter of survival, though, I think. I mean, the right. bottom line with, right. of this was survival um, at all costs. If people, if this gets let out that we have these problems, we'll be considered these undesirables and we could be killed. <laughs> so, right. I mean, well, the stakes I mean, were right. pretty high and, and the stakes were pretty high back then. Right. That's exactly correct. I mm-hmm. mean, when that happens in your family, you're going to carry that kind of fear, you yeah. know, I mean, un- understandably. And, mm-hmm. you know, my mother carried that fear the most. Um you know, and just was so frightened that her children, you know, would show any signs. Like, yeah. I remember coming home in college and, you know, clearly I had signs, but I didn't know that. And a chemistry professor of mine, you know, had suggested that I maybe want to seek counseling. And, and I went home and my mother was sort of this warm, I saw her as a warm, wonderful person. And you know, I told her that story that this professor thought, you know, I didn't have any confidence and maybe I could get help. And she just slammed the door in my face and was like, no child of mine shall ever see one of those people. And it made such a huge impression on me. And I didn't, you know, of course I understood after everything happened, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's interesting. No, it, yeah, it just comes down to that. I mean, I think we are more open now and, and, but you're right though too. And, I never really thought of it this way. Um, the stigma you're talking about with mental health and the paranormal. And I mean, there's an obvious line that can be drawn between the two of them. Yeah. They've uh, both been frowned upon. They, yeah. They've both been frowned like, upon. Oh, if you've had a paranormal moment, you're just having a delusion. You're if you've seeing seen something, a UFO, you're schizophrenic. I mean, something like that. Yeah. I mean, if if you've, you've seen a UFO, you're obviously, you know, you were impressionable on drugs or, you're, or, or, yeah, or, or yeah, gullible. Or or you're just flat out cuckoo. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say. Stop right? watching no. Star Trek, you know. Yeah. What was hey, that there's a character in the book who um, she goes into McLean. She's put in McLean basically because she lived in a group home and she knew there was going to be a fire in the group home. And she told everybody, she warned everybody. And of course, when there was a fire, she was accused of starting it because she knew it. And she also has visions actually of Rigmore when she sees my grandmother. And it's, it's for me, I mean, it's not a major part of the book, but it's a very important moment because it pushes the grandmother to become more open-minded. And I mean, if I have a sort of a mantra in life, it's like only a closed mind is certain, right? I mean, you have to be open. And in the story, I mean, my grandmother had to be open enough to sort of reveal the past But then I, you know, also as part of the story, you know, she needed like pushing on those boundaries to be even open to that and to understand that perhaps her sister was at peace and was around. And for me, that's, you know, hugely important. Like I said, it's not a huge part of this particular story, but it's what I am writing about next. (laughs) Well, and the thing about, I mean, we can tell you for certain, and we've been doing We've been studying the paranormal, uh, all, uh, the both of us, I know, for over two decades. And you you meet some people with some very interesting stories. And I'll openly admit myself that some of these stories I've heard, I'm like, okay, that's a little out there. 
<laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll openly admit that. Uh, do I judge? Uh, never done that. I won't judge anybody as far as what their mental capacity is. And I mean, right. there, I mean, and then there's both sides to this thing. There really is both right. sides of this. Some people legitimately do have some issues and they may need to go talk to somebody and they may be manifesting in, in, you know, with UFO sightings and stuff like that. I mean, it's not simple. It's not a black and white issue, no. Um, no. but I do think the people, I mean, I mean, hundreds of people, I'm sure at this point I've met over this time, I've met people with really interesting stories uh, from all different walks of life, uh, whether they, they were teachers, doctors, lawyers, police officers. I mean, of all pro pro professions and trades you can think of. Uh, and they were they had a story to say and they all started the same. You're going to probably think I'm crazy. <laughs> yep. They all started right. with the same thing. You're right. going to probably think I'm crazy. I'm like, well, no, you're you're talking to the right person because <laughs> I'm not going to think you're crazy. Uh, right. But there is that stigma we're talking about where. Right. It's and it still is, I think, very much alive and well. Um, with people, there are some people that are just closed off, like you said, and there is certainty in that because you are certain to be closed off, your mind will be closed off. And I think that's just kind of, I mean, while it's a person's right to do that, I think it's just a kind of un, I just think it's kind of what's the word I'm looking for? Not cool, <laughs> the, the term not cool. Well, I don't think it's yeah, cool. I mean, you you close off. A you know, some really interesting experiences. And I don't know, I mean, you can just go to different cultures, and they're so much more accepting of, you know, the spirit world. I go to Peru, I've gone to Peru a lot, I take students to do research in the jungle there. And um, so I'm very familiar with their culture and what they believe. And I mean, there's, they, you know, if they feel that some, some other family has put a hex on them and made somebody in their family sick, the police investigate it. And when you tell that to people in this country, they're like, oh, that's ridiculous. And, yeah. and well, but maybe it's not like, how do you know? And in India, you know, I'm fascinated with the past lives. And, mm -hmm. you know, they, if a child has really clear memories of a past life and they actually seek out the families and if they can find a past life family they celebrate it you know and here i mean granted i do think we're becoming a little bit more open yeah there is a ton of research um and so much data that like people at the university of virginia have collected and i'm fascinated with all that yeah. so i that people can just dismiss it seems nuts to me it's like yeah but look at all the research some of these scientists have done, you know, and they're like, yeah, but they're studying something that isn't real. I'm like, well, people have these experiences, nursing homes and nursing homes. I mean, how many accounts are there of people, you know, seeing their family members come over, their dead family members come and help them cross. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's very common. Yeah, there's a lot of lines being drawn. There's a lot of good statistics out there. I mean, and I and I agree with that to to a, to a certain degree, I guess. Um, where yeah, this is still. I hate using the term pseudoscience, and that really is kind of an insult to the stud, the field of study in whole. Uh, that's right. what, but that's what a right. lot of people call it. It's, it's just a pseudoscience. Right. Um, well, that's uh, what they call psychiatry. Well, I mean, some people still will call it that, but. You know, I mean, right. if you actually, you know, look at some of the research that's been done on this stuff, it, it's it's hardly pseudoscience, you know. Oh. And I, I mean, jo Dr. Jim Tucker. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. No, no. he is an amazing man. He does a lot of past life, um, and he's done some like TED talks and 
um, on a couple of cases. And, you know, he sort of says, like, he sort of laughs about the, the masses of research they've done. And, yeah, nobody really pays attention. It's yeah. fascinating to me. Well, well, I mean, and, and ahead, early, as I say, the early roots of psychology, all those guys were interested in psychical research. Yeah. They, right. they all were looking at that. That like That's They were right. basically early ghost hunters mm-hmm. sitting in at seances when spiritualism was at its heyday. And then also looking at things like telepathy and clairvoyancy, which to this day, too, is also something that has statistically been proven to exist. I mean, it might be a very small statistic when mm-hmm. they look at like. You know, whether it's 50 percent or 1,000 yeah. percent, but it that's how they it kind of that stuff came out. William James, I think, mm-hmm. who was like the head started the American psychiatric or whatever psychology. I can't remember the name, but boom, he was he was like an early ghost hunter. Yeah. Well, I think that's the study of the mind originally started with that. That idea is the study of the mind itself. Uh, the right. study of how the mind works and how it maybe can be manipulated in a more natural way. I mean, we know, and I'm not saying this is everybody, we know that uh, a lot of solutions for people that are struggling mentally these days is they do they do get medication, right? And I mean, it, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I know it works. And I know people that, that take it every, you know, they have to take something every day to kind of keep themselves regulated. And, and they, they're able to be, they manage their lives better that way. I think the original idea of a lot of what this stuff was, um, you know, psychology and whatnot was this fascination and study with the mind itself uh, and maybe how you can work with a person. I mean, I, I guess just on more of a, I, what's the word I'm looking for, Amber, here? Just just talking with someone, working with someone, working with their mind itself and not just going to the drugs, I guess, right? And again, I'm not well, saying that in a bad, I'm not saying that No, because drugs can light. help people. They can totally but... help. I think they're more, I mean, I, mean, I guess the idea would be you could spend five years working with someone, having conversations with someone, trying to have a breakthrough, I guess, which right. is what a lot of people, they, they try to have a breakthrough with someone and, and find a way to help someone rewire their mind naturally by, by talking through it, I guess, right? So you spend five years doing that, the person suffers for five years, or you can give them a drug that'll, t- that'll start working in a couple of weeks, that'll kind of get them regulated out, whatever it may be. I, I guess the the, num- the the proof's in the pudding when it comes to that. I mean, you can help someone with, with, with drugs. And I, what's a better word? Drugs. I don't know. It's, well, drugs, <laughs> I hate using but, drugs, but, you know, it's, it's true. And though. that's a personal choice for someone to, you know, whether they want to go a more holistic route or, or, you know, use something. Yeah. But going back to the paranormal side of this thing, um, as far as the book's concerned, too, talking about the book, you know, why did you take this and i mean obviously you have an interest in the paranormal uh, but why did you add this layer to the book though i'm just curious about that so again i think it was to push for an openness especially in the grandmother's character like just to push on her you know she became closed-minded and closed off i think i you know more than closed-minded and so it sort of pushes on her belief system. And I guess I feel like for me and and my journey in life too, you know, being in McLean, you know, I was so initially so terribly ashamed and terrified and, you know, just sort of being then learning to become comfortable with, you know, that part of myself that might not have obviously been perfect. Mm -hmm. And then, um, what soon after I got out of McLean, I, um, met a friend and, he told me that his mother 
was psychic. And I was like, oh, that's utter nonsense. I come <laughs> from this long line of fa- of scientists and doctors, and they don't believe in that sort of nonsense. But he told me a couple stories, and I was intrigued. Yeah. And I went to see her, and I was blown away. I mean, mm-hmm. I had enough openness, and that's, like, I guess that's what I've, like, sort of been pushing my whole life is, like, being open about mental illness and being open about the paranormal. And I, you know, I'm the department head and for science and technology um, at my school. And we've renamed our department the Science, Technology, and Paranormal Studies Department because I'd been so lucky with my colleagues. Um, you know, we started talking about this years ago and mostly because I was interested and, of course, none of them believed it. <laughs> and, but the you know, we kept talking about it, kept researching it. I mean, one of my colleagues flew to Ireland with me to see a medium. You know, we've become very invested in it. And it's become, you know, it's become great to have a department that slowly became, I wouldn't say they're full believers or anything, but certainly, again, more open-minded and willing to read what's out there and, you know, sort of look at what's out there about it. Oh, well, to put that on a placard. Right. (laughs) That's a pretty big step right there, if you ask me. Go ahead, Amber. It's cool to see this kind of stuff. Uh, it is becoming more accepted, I think. And I know, like yeah. the the ghost hunting shows and stuff are still out there. But there was a great show that just started on Netflix called Surviving Death. Yeah, I written by Leslie Keen, and yeah. she's an investigative journalist. She's the one that broke the big story about the UFOs and the government in 2017. Right. And and it's a like a really like you watch this, and if you had any doubts about NDEs, um, yeah. You know, stuff like that. You kind of watch this and go, I don't get how someone couldn't at least be curious about this. Or how how, right. how someone looks right. at this and just goes, no. Like, you're so shut down. No. Like, that's the the total skeptics. I always go, like, what's going on? Who did what to you? <laughs> like, right. Why right. Why are you why, like this? Well, right. I, I obviously watch that show. I, I know almost everybody in that show. Oh, wow. Cool. It was, was kind of crazy because I went to a conference um, at the Omega Center in in upstate New York. And I went because of Leslie Keene. Okay. I had read her book, obviously, and given it to so many people. And, you know, there um, she was there and a couple of researchers and, you know, Laurelyn Jackson, who's pretty much the most amazing medium, I think. And then they had other people in it that I'd met. Um, There's a a very famous medium from Boston and Siri. And so it was like, it was so much fun for me to watch because I was like, oh my God. Like, I knew when I went to the conference, they were actually in the process of filming it. And I thought they did a really good job. They did. It's a good show. I have yeah. to watch this because it's, it's been on my it's been in my queue thing it's forever. Not and I gotta tacky, sit down with it. It's not hokey. Well, There's nothing. It's just very well, I don't very yeah. matter of fact. Like Right. Yeah, and that's what she's like, Leslie Keen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she's very matter of yes, fact. She is. And um Yeah, I mean I, they they had some great interviews with some great people. It was I thought they did a, a fabulous job. I you know, I know so many of my friends were like texting me have you seen this show i'm like not only have seen it i i know everybody <laughs> <laughs> from all my different my daughter my eldest daughter calls me the medium hunter um, <laughs> well i mean well, I'm, I'm curious about you, know, you you mentioned about flying over you know flying over the sea to, to talk to a medium and things like that i mean i'm wondering if you've had any other experiences uh you know with the paranormal have you seen anything or whatnot i mean anything under that umbrella 
Yeah, I mean, so first, you know, it all started with this woman, Sophie, um, who was this friend of mine's mother. And I ended up actually becoming very close to her. And I, she died about a year ago. I saw her like every week for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, at, you know, initially I was, like I said, I was like, you know, I don't believe this. But um, it it's amazing through the years. I, I almost at some point I think took her, not, to, not took her for granted, but just as one little story. I mean, when Erica, uh, my eldest daughter, was pregnant with her first child, she had just had a miscarriage. So she's, a, you know, and like most women who are pregnant the first time, it's pretty scary. And she was nervous and anxious and she had a miscarriage and she had an ultrasound. It was on New Year's Eve. I was in Chicago visiting my dad actually, and she was here in Boston and she called me and she couldn't speak. She was so hysterical. She said the ultrasound said something like there was an artery in the baby's head. I was like, oh, God, what, mm -hmm. what is she talking about? And plus, I'm like, there's no arteries in the baby's head. But I was like, I don't know. So I got off the, I tried to comfort her. I got off the phone. You know, I went on the Internet. You know, terrible idea. There are no <laughs> arteries in the head. I, I couldn't figure it out. I have doctors, radiologists in my family I could have called. But no, I call my psychic Sophie, right? <laughs> and so, you know, I'm like, you you have to help me. I, I don't know. Erica's hysterically, there's something, there's something wrong with the baby. And Sophie was like, no, the baby's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with the baby. She said, but Erica cannot have sex for two weeks. I was like oh, well, I'm not going to tell her that, that I called my psychic and my psychic said she could have sex for two weeks. And Sophie continued and said, no, listen, something hasn't moved yet. And in two weeks, it's going to move and it'll be fine. But she can have sex for two weeks and the baby's fine. And I was like, okay, all right, fine. I, I mean, I sort of believe, like, it's so interesting to me when I look back, I'm like, yeah, all right. Well, at least she said the baby's fine. So a couple days later, Erica went to her doctor's and the baby was totally fine. The, the technician had said there was an artifact. Artifacts are things that happen in sonograms because they're sound waves. So you can get like a, a distortion. So it looks like there's something there, but it, it's not about the baby. It's an artifact, something that shouldn't be there from the sound waves, right? Okay. But Ooh. the doctor said, listen, you know, your placenta hasn't moved yet and it's still really low lying. So if you have sex, which you can do... Huh. You'll probably spot and bleed, and then you'll get hysterical and need to come for another ultrasound, which is fine. I, I always love the doctor for that. Like, he just understood her. And, um, you know, Erica, of course, had sex and bled a little bit, but was fine. The placenta moved in exactly two weeks, as Sophie had said. Sophie didn't know it was called the placenta. She just knew. Like, And that's just one example of God knows how many hundreds. And when you think of that, like... Uh, I mean, that's not just by chance saying like, you know, I don't know, you know, your mother on the other side loves you. I mean, right. it, yeah, it yeah. is so specific. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like you can't deny that things like that she was psychic. I mean, she did this over and over again. And in fact, the last year of her life, she had dementia. And so, you know, I would go and visit her and bring her cake because she loved cake. And, um, you know, she'd see me and she wasn't always exactly sure who I was, but she knew she wanted to read my cards because she'd always done that. Mm -hmm. And, over, I mean, there were so many things she told me that I thought absolutely weren't true because she had dementia. And after she died, all those things came to be true. And 
I don't know. I find that absolutely mind blowing, really. It and is. it's it's <laughs> my oh sorry, Frida <laughs> has something to say about all of this, but um, <laughs> it just like opened up the world to me because when I first. You know, I was like reluctantly, not reluctant, but I, I tiptoed in with the psychic stuff. But I was like, oh, mediums aren't really real. Like, I believed that psychics were real and mediums weren't. And that I didn't believe in like past lives. But then I realized they're all possible, you know, and it's kind of exciting, really. Well, you know, one thing I've been I've been spouting off a lot in the last few years on this show has been this idea of, and I mean, I guess we can just say the paranormal as a blanket term, uh, which would encompass psychics and, and, and all types of phenomena, uh, uh, ESP, whatever you want to talk about. Right. Uh, and, you know, I think, and I believe this now, is that it's just some force of nature that we just don't quite understand yet. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and there's a lot of things that we see in nature right now. That we don't quite understand. No, Animals, uh, plants, all types of things that we just don't understand how they're able to survive in whatever environment they're in, for example. Yeah. It's a mystery to us. But the reason that we're willing to embrace that idea is it's something that we can touch and feel and see, right? Whereas, you know, a ghost or or Bigfoot. Well, Bigfoot would be something I guess you could touch, in, but you can't. He keeps disappearing. We just can't He's seem to find Bigfoot. Hiding. He's very good at hiding. Um, but let's right. just say, let's just say, ghosts, for example. <laughs> ghosts are the perfect example. Um, aside from some pictures that we see here and there that people shoot, it's something that we really can't put our hands on. We don't really necessarily see it, and when we do see a picture of it. We don't really understand it because it's not something that we're used to. It's the well, it's unknown. it's spontaneous and you can't quantify it. You can't put it in a lab. But all no, of these can't. stories from people. Tangible. It's not no, tangible. and all these stories over the centuries and the millennia yeah. about this type of experience, it can't be overlooked and just be like, yeah, people are just making it up to make a good story. Right. Like, it's not, it's <laughs> real. It's, there's something going right. on. And I think it's like some people in, in like with, with your, with your psychic, with Sophie, and other ones out there, I mm. feel like they can just tap into that matrix. They they, right. they read something differently. They can interpret things. Just like how someone who's blind can interpret their environment differently because they learn how to or they're, you know, if they're born blind well, or become their blind. Other senses are their just, other they, senses are just, they take over. They're stronger. And, and I think these this other sense that is there that interprets that data of like a, what is a ghost or retrieving some type of information that is going to be in someone's near future. And that whole part trips me out too. Cause then it's like, Oh my God, is our destiny predetermined or is just right. certain things within physics? Like I, I don't, ah, it's just like no, ah, no, no. head explosion when you start thinking about the possibilities. And I don't like thinking of a predetermined future either, but that's, maybe that's there's like, stressful. it is stressful, but maybe there's certain things where you're like, well, if they keep going on that path, this is where they're going to go. And, well, you, you can go walk. that path, I guess. That's interesting that that you say that, Amber, because, yeah, we, we see this all the time, and it's probably the bane of the drinking conversations that a lot of us have is, you know, what do adults do? They get together and drink alcohol and bitch sometimes <laughs> about the world around them, about how stupid they, things are, they think things are. And I guess that's – I'm no different to that either. Uh, and I do see people that will uh, – in front of me and, and the people that I maybe have in my life or I observe, and I see that, Right. Uh, I see what they're doing and I say, okay, they're going to keep doing that. And this is what's going to happen. Then this is going to happen. Then this is going to happen. Right. And am I psychic? Absolutely not. Is it a predetermined, predetermined future? I have no idea. Well, some people are just predetermined shit shows. I mean, that's, 
that's just what you're talking about with some of the people yeah. we know. <laughs> so. Okay, well, that's a good way to put a cap on that one, I guess. <laughs> I, I had a reading once um, in my, you know, travels around finding all these mediums. Mm-hmm. I had this woman in New York. Um, she was an astrologer. And I, I don't often go and get my chart read because I don't know what time I was born. I was born in England and I don't know the time. Uh. But anyway, I went to her and I would read about her. And I remember I remembered I loved her voice. But I remember everything she said was like, yeah, no, that's ridiculous. And I remember and I luckily, you know, because I like to do the research in this I had taped it right Mm -hmm. and it wasn't long ago that I I decided oh I'm just gonna listen to her because I remember liking her voice and I was doing some writing and you know at the beginning she said um I've I've had two marriages and I'm currently getting out of my second marriage and um she said to me she's she said oh you're going to have a a third relationship slash marriage and i i argued with her i was like <laughs> absolutely not i mean my husband and i are roommates we're friends it's fine and she was like no no you don't understand you can't make it happen and you can't not make it happen oh i'm sorry frida's like oh. frida agrees frida, <laughs> frida um, agrees anyway she she and she talked about the whole destiny she, thing she said listen this was a soul agreement you made before you came here. You had to make this agreement because um, you need to learn how to live in a balanced relationship and your relationships haven't been balanced. I was like, oh, this is absolute nuts. And she was like, yeah. there's a lot of things you can, you have free will over, but this is not one of them. And of course it happened exactly like she said. And it kind of blew me away to listen to her talk about, you know, these soul agreements and some things. I mean, I don't know if she's right, but she was so amazing about she had told me all about my eldest daughter's third pregnancy that I also was like, no, 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 that's all wrong. And every every aspect of it was right. And, you know, I just she really she, she had this wonderful you know, melodic voice. And, you know, she just was like, some things you just make a contract. You make the contract before you come here. And this is one of them. And I was like, well, no, it's not. And then of course yeah. it, it, it happened. I don't know. It sort of blew me away. Well, it makes me like, think wow. about, it makes me think about these ideas like reincarnation, for example. Uh, and we all have talked about that. And I've thought about that a lot. Like, I think it may be kind of an idea a lot of us have had run through our heads as far as reincarnation is concerned, um, is this idea that maybe the life we're leading here, this heavy life we live on this planet, that has all types of challenges and things that you have to deal with, is it just this thing you go through and every time you run through that cycle, you may do something like you said. Sylvia, where it's like uh, a soul contract. Like, okay, so here's how it went last time, man. You were pretty good here. You were pretty good there. Uh, you can work on this here. You might need to turn the bolts down over here. Go back at it again. You're going to get born. Okay, cool. <laughs> and you go back at it and you go through that cycle again and you see what you do this time. And maybe the maybe the the game to it, or I should or maybe the, the yeah, maybe the game is you finally get it right. Cuz there's just some people, I guess, I know I've met where I'm like, I look at that person and I could totally be off because they could be a serial killer for all I know. But I, I'm sure we've all met people in our lives that you look at them and go, 
God, they just got it all together. Their 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 temperament, right. their temperaments there. They're, they're, they're calm. And that's, that's one of my things. Like one of my things I look for in a person is their demeanor as far as their calmness and how they handle situations, either good or bad. Uh, cause I don't do very well, <laughs> freak out all the time. Um, uh, so it's something I look for. And I, I, you, you meet people like that and go, man, they just got the whole thing pulled together. Wow. And maybe they're those, no, right. maybe they're those people on their last ride, so to say, before they maybe ascend. I don't, I don't know. So, right. Yeah. Years ago, I, talk to my friend Sophie you know I I remember becoming curious about it and we would talk about it and she wasn't she never claimed to be an expert but she knew she was like yeah this is my last one um I this is I'm not coming back again and like she absolutely knew and after every all the other things that she told me about me and my family I'm like yeah I think she knows Mm -hmm. I think she's one of those people that you know, has been here many times. It's our school. She's learned all her lessons and she's done. Well, you hear people say the term, I've heard this term before. I know you have an an old soul, an old soul. And I, and I have a personal friend since, I mean, 35 years now and growing up, you know, we had our crew of our little social crew, you know, club, our buddies and my one friend, Dave, he always just had this demeanor about him. And we used to say, we're like, that guy's like a 40 year old trapped in, trapped in a 16 year old's body. Cause he just had different interests. I mean, he had a lot of the same interests as we did, but he, he veered off in this different direction where he behaved way more mature than we did light years ahead of where we were at. We were all ridiculous. Uh, and I mean, <laughs> it was this idea. I mean, I said that he was like a 40, 50 year old trapped in a 16 year old's body. Uh, and I think maybe, I don't, again, we're just shooting ideas here, but maybe he was one of those mature souls. Maybe a soul isn't something that just gets refreshed, like a, like gets rebooted like a computer every, every 80 years, 90 years. Maybe it is something that it is energy that gets carried along into so a body. It gets refined. It gets refined. It gets refined. It's not like the people that you meet that you're like, my God, were you born yesterday? Like every every day something's like new and wild and crazy and they want to get into it. Like a, Maybe that's like a, a young newborn, soul. That's a young you soul. Know? Yeah. They, that, that they're, they're experiencing things for the first time mm-hmm. without knowing it. Right. So, right. Yeah. I mean, it's have a true. Have you ever on. read uh, Many Lives, Many uh, Masters? Yeah. That's, yeah. I've long time ago. Oh, my God. I, I read that at least once a year. I, I find that one of the most amazing books um, on this particular, like, reincarnation and past lives. And you know what, Amber? I think in the Netflix series, remember I talked about at the beginning this guy, Jim Tucker, um, mm-hmm. the guy who does the he studies ch- children who yeah. have had past lives or remember yeah. things? He was in the Netflix show. Uh... See, I don't think I've even gotten to that episode yet. Oh, sorry. Well, I'm no, no, you're not ruining no anything. Um, it, I just, I got to fire it back up. If you see him, he does a great job in the show, but he is really, you know, if you Google him and watch some of his um, talks, he's just absolutely amazing. And, he, you know, when he goes through the evidence and how they collect the evidence and what they call an open and a closed case, you know, it's a very impressive, you know, his work is, is seriously impressive. Yeah, and there's something to all that. Like, it's just eerie when you hear about little kids that say, like, oh, yeah, you know, I remember my wife. 
And then like right. the kid's like two, and then they right. say a name or they say what right. ship they flew and like or or you know plane they flew in World War Two and just all these things where you're like, there's no way that kid's gonna be watching some History Channel special on World War Two and then just start right. you know acclimating like, oh that yep that was me like no, it's right. just I don't know all the mysteries of life. It's so wild, you know. Speaking of something mis- mysterious. Uh, when it comes to when with your family, I have to. I don't want to forget this. I kept looking at her notes. And I'm like, I gotta ask her about this. But your grandfather was actually the doctor of Anne Frank's family. So my grandfather on my father's side um, was the doctor of her family before they fled to um, wow. Amsterdam. He and he was the kindest. He was one of those sensitive souls, and he absolutely did not believe that. You know anything terrible was going to happen in Germany. He just didn't believe people could be that horrible. And he was literally pushed on a train by his cousin to get out. He was stripped of his medical degree. He moved to England. He had to, he got another medical degree in Scotland and did, you know, was a wonderful doctor and, um, but died young. And I think a lot of it was because of what happened. I don't, he couldn't get over that. People could be so horrible. Really. It's interesting. Like the kind of, what is that Kevin Bacon thing? Like five degrees of six, Kevin, six, six degrees, degrees of Kevin separate. Bacon right. separation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we uh, a couple few shows back, we had a, a guy Lionel Friedberg on who, while interviewing a guy in the eighties, oh god, that was trippy. Ends up, oh my goodness. he doesn't didn't even know it, but he was he was interviewing Hitler's po- personal pilot and best man. Yeah. He was Hitler he was, was his, his best name. man yeah, at his he, wedding. Yeah. Uh, oh wow. He, and he didn't know it coming in there, and then he starts looking around the the living room. Yeah, there's like family there portraits of like with, with Hitler just he chilling there. Clearly, just, yeah. still love the dude. Yeah, uh, they were buddies. Wow. Interesting. It's like so. Is this? A, um, did he write a book, Lionel Freeberg? I don't know why it sounds familiar. He, he just wrote a book on his experiences because he's from Africa. And he South Africa, South Africa yeah. he was born in South Africa, and he was very um, connected to a lot of the shamanism. Uh, oh, interesting! And so, yeah. and then he had an interesting career with, like, early on with like in the sixties and seventies yeah, with and like the early TV. start of cable and TV in yeah. South Africa and Africa in general. And speaking of somebody, speaking of somebody, I could just there. listen to talk all day and night long. He's, yeah, he's, he's got that he, South African accent, a good voice. storytelling voice, <laughs> yeah, right. great beautiful right. voice. Yeah, but where madness lies, though, I mean, one of the things I want to I want to point out here, or I want to ask you about here too. I mean, as far as someone getting in, I mean, and obviously Amber's immersed in this, and she's not going to be getting out until she's done. Um, you know, there's, I mean, I think especially back growing up for yourself and in that era in Germany at that time, there wasn't a, it was a very uncertain future for a lot of people, right? Um, right. I know, and I don't think, at least here in, in the United States, uh, it's not nearly as bad as it was back then, but I do think there is this idea of an uncertain future right now for a lot of us, just given what's happened over the oh, last yeah. year. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, with our racial struggles right now, I mean, now all of a sudden Asian Americans are getting yeah, well, that's, really targeted, uh, hor- something horrible. And it's yeah. just, it's like, why is all, I thought we were going in a good I direction. We were, well, I thought we were moving ahead. Yeah. Um, so there is this idea of an uncertain future. And I think not just only in racial terms, but just in life itself. Like, you know, who am I? What am I doing here? <laughs> and how often the term Nazi is now brought up in a serious conversation. Yeah. Where before, maybe I, you'd look at me and go, Amber, put those books away. And be like, whatever, Nazi. You know, you'd, be, you, you'd use it like flippantly. And now it's yeah. like, oh. No, you can't. You, know, you can't use it. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that, if I may ask, Sylvia? 
about an uncertain future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, we kind of went all over the place there. <laughs> right. So, I mean, if I relate it to the book, I, and I yeah. think um, my hope as a writer, one of the things that I would would want a reader to get from this is that um, the grandmother and the granddaughter both have walls up initially um, for different reasons, yeah. right? Yeah. And through actually talking and listening to each other and most of all through understanding each other's fears they gain some empathy for each other and and move out of a place of fear and into a place of love and i you know that sounds a little bit cliche but what i think we don't do right now is we don't listen i mean we just point fingers and we blame and it's just easy to say oh that side whatever side i mean there are so many sides it you know is idiotic and stupid and they don't get it yeah what we really need to do is is understand where the other is coming from and mostly i think understand their fears because i think that's what blocks us and what what are we frightened of and you know can we sit down and talk to people on the quote-unquote other side and understand where they're coming from and and stop this like crazy blame game you know we've gotten it's just it's just crazy out there right now (laughs) it has gotten bonkers to that to your point on that and people i mean it's it's so fascinating but it's so terrifying at the same time uh, because i i've experienced it firsthand at this point is that it has gotten to this point where i mean if two people two adults let's say two adults have differing opinions on something, then they cannot look. I mean, and I know the big ones. I understand, like, you know, political things can get, they can get intense. I get that, right? But I'm right. talking about just, you know, just ideas and beliefs and things like that. And it's gotten to a point where I, people cannot associate with one another because it's, it is, I mean, identity politics, for example, is alive and well now. And, People literally where I do remember a time when I was in college, at least where you could express yourself. I mean, with just about any idea and you wouldn't be thrown out of school for it, let's say. <laughs> I mean, it, and I'm not, I mean, it's not just about education itself, but it's something that I can identify with that I was a part of growing up. And now it's a different game. I think, like you said, it's a knee jerk reaction that people have. And what I keep saying to people is. Um, you know, you you hate this thing so much, but how much do you really understand about it? And you can still hate it if you want after that, but why don't you at least sit down and have the conversation with that person? Have the right. conversation with that person, shut your mouth for 15 minutes, and listen to what they have to say. Just give them a chance, right? Uh, and I And again, in all fairness, I know there's some people out there that I've, I've come across and I'm like, dude, we're not discussing this. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Uh uh, and that is where it is. I mean, it, it can go both ways. But I think the majority of ideas, I mean, they at least, at least deserve a discussion if you don't agree with it, at least, I think. And we're not getting that anymore. It's just like you right. said. It's it's just finger pointing and right. brick throwing. Physic, right. sometimes literally, <laughs> literal brick, brick throwing here. Um, right. And that does you know, lend that, to that idea of an uncertain future. It scares me personally. To think about where we're going as people when well, we can't express we ideas. We need to learn from our past. And when you're reading this book, yeah, you you see all these things like how people thought about mental illness and like especially with women, like oh you're hysteric, 
you know, right. you, fits. Like, just the right. weird things that just... Yeah. Then of course they're trying to figure stuff out back then. It's it's new and it's better than just being thrown into a cold institution basement somewhere where they just throw some you know don't know what to do with you but lock yeah, you up, which yeah. was happened in a lot of those old asylums back in the day. But it's right. I, I think learning from the past and taking that information with us is really important mm-hmm. and remembering where where things came from. And I, that's why I like in the book how you go back into the past and you see how. Grandma was living with her sister and her mother, and then it goes to the future, and you see what's going on there. I, I yeah. love those kind of, you know, dualities in books. When you're, I love that. Put a cap on it, Sylvia. Where can people read Where Madness Lies? Where can they get more information? Lay it all out for us. And of course, we, we're going to put this all with the when we put the show up uh, tomorrow. As a matter of fact, uh, it'll all be part of that. But where can where can people get the book at? Um. So any. Pretty much any bookstore. Obviously, yeah. Amazon is big. You can yeah. visit my website, sylviatrue.com. Yeah. Um, but and I love to hear from people. So mm-hmm. if you want to email me or ask any questions, I'm always available. Excellent. And now that you said you were working on another book, and, and did did you say that had the paranormal slant with it? Yes. Ah! The, yeah. It's it's really more of my actual journeys with um, my experiences with all the different people I've seen, some frauds as well, oh, um, yeah. which is part of it, yep, you know, it, it yep. actually in some ways legitimizes the real ones. Yep. I, you know, which is a, a weird thing to say because some people are like, well, they're all frauds and it's like, no, they're not. <laughs> but yeah. So I, I've been starting and dabbling with that right now. Ghostly talk. <laughs> <laughs>